Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and world without shrimp, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm story expert and Lord of the Hammers, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we're here today to talk about Triangle, the 11th episode of season five. Triangle aired on January 9th, 2001 and was written by Gene Espenson and directed by Christopher Hibbler. As you all should know by now, we are a fully spoiled Buffy podcast. So if you haven't seen the whole thing, what the hell have you been doing with the last 20 years? <laughs> You want credit for not feeding on bleeding disaster victims? Well, yeah. Let's go on patrol. In Triangle, Xander suffers from the loss of Riley, and Buffy deals with the breakup by dusting a few vampires at the local convent and then hanging around to inquire about nun life. Do you have to be, like, super religious? Giles goes to England to visit the Watchers Council and ask them what they know about Glory, and Anya and Willow are both excited to watch over the magic box, just not together. Don't worry, Giles. I'll help her take care of everything. It'll be ship-shaped better. It'll be shop-shaped. Xander, she's talking to Giles like I'm not here. Make her stop. Spike sits in his lair, practicing an apology to Buffy with Buffy the Mannequin. And it goes, well. And you punch right for bit! At the magic box, Anya and Willow argue about what does and does not constitute stealing. And when they pull in Xander to adjudicate, he makes a hasty retreat with Tara booking it right behind him. <laughs> they continue to fight as Willow practices her spell to create magical sunlight. But as Willow gets distracted and angry, a giant troll magically emerges before them and destroys the place with his hammer before running out the door. He's not a ball of sunshine. Willow and Anya steal Giles' car to go chase after the troll, arguing all the way. Tara tells Buffy about the fight between Willow and Anya, and Buffy over-identifies and freaks out that Xander and Anya are going to break up. They can't break up. I think they have a beautiful love. Buffy and Tara go back to the magic shop and find the place trashed and Willow and Anya gone. Xander and Spike are bonding at the bronze when Olaf the troll comes in demanding mead and babies. Xander tries <laughs> to talk him out of eating babies, but Spike is, well, Spike. Or maybe you can fight him. Yeah, I could do that, but I'm paralyzed with not caring very much. Everyone shows up at the bronze and Olaf complains about Anya ruining all his fun just like when they were dating. And we're what, surprised by this? Willow tries to get rid of Olaf with another spell, but Olaf just trashes the place, injuring a number of patrons and runs out. While Spike tends to the victims without so much as licking any of the free blood, Anya and Willow rush back to the magic box to figure out how to get the better of Olaf. As they research spells, they both realize that their conflict is really about how neither one trusts the other not to hurt Xander. Then Olaf comes in and tries to kill them, and Xander interrupts, putting up a fight that Olaf actually respects. I shall reward you. Only one of your women shall die, and you shall be the one to choose. Xander refuses to choose, and Olaf snaps his wrist. Buffy comes in and fights with Olaf while Willow and Anya work together to take his hammer away, which is the source of his power. They get it away from him, and Buffy goes in for the killing blow, but then Olaf picks her up and tosses her across the room. Oh, yeah, I forgot he still has all that troll strength. Olaf mocks Anya and Xander's love, and Buffy over-identifies again, knocking him out. Willow does a spell that sends him somewhere else, possibly to a land full of trolls, possibly to a world without shrimp, and everything is fine. Until later, when Giles returns and talks about Dawn being a mystical key with Joyce and Buffy, all while Dawn listens quietly from the staircase. 
All right, Noelle, so here we are at Triangle, the sitcomiest of all sitcomy Buffy episodes. Is it the sitcomiest? I think it might be the sitcomiest. Here's the thing. Jane Espenson is delightful, and I absolutely love her. Um, she is so funny and absolutely has kind of like this, this very sitcomy, this very punchline-y kind of sense of humor, which is expressed to its like fullest best expression. I think in Triangle, it feels very sitcomy to me. Yeah, I mean, possibly. I'm. I'm I mean, which isn't my... bad. It's funny. I love I'm it. I'm racking it's my fun. brain. I'm racking my brain for Espensonian sitcominess. I mean, yeah. Does it feel more sitcomy because it's essentially an episode about relationships? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that part of? I mean, I don't know. It's sitcomy because it's just so jokey. It is constantly like going for the joke. It's joke, I mean, joke, 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 joke. And they're all, they all got the, if you take a scene from Triangle and put a, 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 like a laugh track underneath it, you will not be able to tell the difference between that and an episode of Friends. That would be so much fun. I know. That would be so I much fun. I'm I wish feeling I had a the little temptation to do that. I'm feeling a little temptation that might happen. I'm not making any promises that might happen. Oh, we'll please see. do it. Please do it for the, the Patreon. It wouldn't have to be the whole episode. Just like choose just a, a, just scene a scene. And then yeah, put... I'll just choose a scene yeah. and see if I can put some, some laugh track underneath it and see what that, because honestly, it feels extremely sitcom to me. Um, but it is a lot of fun. And what did you think? How do you like this episode? I actually really like this episode. I think mm -hmm. I misremembered this episode as having a completely different tone than oh, okay. it actually mm -hmm. has. I enjoyed it okay. quite a bit. Um, if for no other reason than it is about relationships in this way that, you know, we're we're always talking about how with Buffy, everything is a metaphor and like the monster is a metaphor. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I feel like to a certain degree, you could take the supernatural elements out of this story mm -hmm. and just have a real relationship kind of complex ex-bad ex-boyfriend comes back and like, you know, like, I, also, I just love Olaf the Troll. <laughs> Played I beautifully by Abraham Ben Ruby, who is absolutely adorable. He um, is it's, lovely. It's not, it's not a terribly believable troll. Uh, some somebody who has been, uh, I, you know, I guess like banished to live inside of a crystal for a thousand years comes out saying, give me your mead and your babies. But then using other, you know, expression that is extremely modern, you know, like when we were dating, you know, yeah. when he talks to Anya. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, all of it feels a little bit um, a little bit weird, you know, a little bit. uh, uh I guess like anachronistic is kind of the word for it, I know, but not really. I know. Yeah. But it works. Okay. See, it works for but me. I like it, yeah. I, especially mm -hmm. with Olaf. And I don't yes. know why. It might just be that he is so like happy to be a troll. Um, he really does. I think his troll expression is his best self. Yeah. Well, and Xander even calls him on it. Xander's like, you seem to enjoy being a troll. And Olaf says, I adjusted, which I just I love. <laughs> I just love so much. But yeah, it's a great, like the, the anachronistic nature of the choice of 
you know, just like you always did when we were dating. I mean, dating right. is way too contemporary, especially for this troll who's like, I'm going to right. make merry sport with your daughters, you know, and he's just the worst. Well, but then, also, he's Olaf and she's Anyanka and they are from some I, like Norse country or something. Knows? But he comes out with the perfect American accent. <laughs> like, it's a, a completely understanding English. Like, all this, like, okay, look, first of all, first of all, anybody out there who is rolling their eyes at me <laughs> looking for the realistic nature of Olaf the troll being released from a crystal like I'm on your side roll away I get it I'm just saying that it doesn't add a level of believability to the to the the character of Olaf but the character of Olaf himself is really really fun I enjoy him. I enjoy him I do so too. much. I did not cheat. Not in my heart. It was only one wedge. Like he's just, he's so scenery chewing. It's so yes. good. It's so good. But what I love about it, part of what I love about it is it's, it is kind of chilling when you take yeah. away the trollness. Like this really could be a yeah. bad, abusive ex-boyfriend or just like a just a you know drunken lout of a, of an ex boyfriend come back yeah. to break your boyfriend's wrist. That's yeah. It feels yeah. We don't get a lot of like body bodily harm right. in Buffy for a show that involves so mm-hmm. much fighting. There's not a lot of that just kind of casual violence of right. I'm not going to choose crack now. Choose you know it's mm-hmm. it's dark. It is. It has a really, really dark moment. You know, that 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 moment when, you know, he says, Xander, you choose which one of your women is going to live and which is going to die. That's like a huge, horrible choice to have to make. And in a regular episode of Buffy, right, if you put that choice on any character where they have to make this terrible, terrible choice. First of all, we would make them take make the choice because Whedon has never found a torture that he is not a huge fan of. Oh, yeah. And also, you know, hopefully play out the consequences of that choice. Instead, we have this moment where he refuses to make the choice. He pays with his wrist and then we get distracted by other things and we never actually make him make that choice. Um, so it was it was for me, like it felt like um like an opportunity for pain uh, that we skipped past, which is very not Whedon. My guess is, is that he was off on vacation that week. <laughs> <laughs> and Espenson was able to get something in where we're just going to play around with this idea and then, you know, skip past it. Yeah. I um, mean, but it was, you know, it's fun. It gives Anya the opportunity to sacrifice herself for Xander or attempt to sacrifice herself yes. for Xander, mm-hmm. which, of course, is supposed to be the... You know, oh, that seals it. She's not going to do anything to hurt Xander. Right. Which... Unless Xander cheats on her, in which case she'll turn him into a troll. I mean... <laughs> I mean... I mean... Yeah. <laughs> I think we've established that that Anya has this in her in her personality because she turned Olaf into a troll before she was made yeah. into Avengers. It's actually the resume item that got her the job. I was going to say, and it's what got her the job. Yes, yes. So uh, so the fact that like that means that she wouldn't do that to Xander, I think, is probably ho- wishful thinking of some sort. <laughs> um, I feel like yeah. it's narrative wishful thinking. Like it's the thing that it we is. do in narrative where we're like, and that seals it. And this is proof yeah. that she will never, I would 
never hurt Xander. Yes, you would. You are, I mean, <laughs> if yeah. he hurt you, you would hurt him. <laughs> That's what you would do. <laughs> none of us are fooled on you. We love you, but none of us are fooled. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, um, I really enjoy it. I think it's fun. I don't buy the deeper moments and it is almost all joke 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 which by the way i like i mean i think it's fun like the fact that it's sitcom doesn't isn't a problem for me it's just something i notice i mean the fact that it opens with xander and anya in bed and xander's like oh riley's gone i'm so <laughs> bummed like what xander <laughs> processes the end of that relationship than even like Buffy does right like Buffy you know my favorite thing is like this moment where Dawn comes in to talk to Buffy right and Buffy's like yeah you know he left and it's it's a bummer but I'll get over it and I'm like yeah you will because you didn't care (laughs) like when Angel broke up with her she's weeping on Willow's lap it feels like I'm died inside and we had this whole thing for like you know forever it took her forever we were well into season four before she was starting to get over the loss of angel and then we had of course the the swap back and forth with i will remember you over in in the angel series which is the most devastating episode of angel ever um and uh, oh with the exception of maybe the end anyway that's go listen to still dead (laughs) i talk about it over there um so like it took forever for buffy to get over angel and in reality if we think Think about it. The amount of time that she spent actually with Angel is not that much longer than the amount of time, like in in terms of the the seasons, the episodes. Eh, maybe it was, yeah, maybe it was like twice as long, but still, um, she is basically over Riley. Aside from this weird over identification we get with with the possibility that Xander and Anya could be having trouble, she does not cry over Riley being gone, but she gets upset over the idea of Xander and Anya breaking up, which I guess is supposed to be a sort of sideways processing of how she's feeling like she's being really tough and really strong about Riley. But she's more like emotionally invested in Xander and Anya that she is really in like dealing with the fact that, you know, that she's upset that Riley's gone. Yeah. And it's a joke. Yeah. It's not even real emotional processing. We don't have a deep heartfelt moment aside from when she talks to Dawn, in which case she's like, yeah, it's a bummer, but I'll get over it. Like she bought a pair of boots that were the wrong size, you know, (laughs) that's a really interesting scene when Mm -hmm. Dawn comes in. I, I mean, yeah, First of all, I have this idea that it's been a few weeks since Mm -hmm. Riley left. Yeah. Just the way, like, first of all, first of all, the way Xander talks about him in that opening scene was just, just bananas. Like, it is like (laughs) he's been gone. I have this idea that he's been gone for a few weeks. And it feels like a couple days to me, but maybe. (laughs) But also, like, it's confusing time-wise because we're coming in on the heels of this series of episodes mm-hmm. that are like boom, boom, boom over the course of three right. days. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe maybe because of the conversation with Dawn, I read this as Buffy has been really like stoic about the whole thing right. for about three mm-hmm. weeks. Um, yeah. And then Dawn comes in and is like asking but not asking about the breakup mm-hmm. which is a moment that yeah. i really really love there's something yeah there's something very sweet it's about nice. the sister to sister moment and dawn mm-hmm. who is like 
in that in-between stage of mm-hmm. child and adult is yeah. really mm-hmm. genuinely asking about this kind of adult relationship yeah. that she's witnessed develop and then fizzle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, <laughs> I do like Don saying that Riley left just when she was beginning to like him because I feel like I feel like that Not was my case with me. Like I was I was actually starting to like I mean I always I always liked his like hunky hunky mm-hmm. self in the beginning oh, but yes. mm-hmm. you know last episode I was like yeah he's got a point I'm like rooting for this guy and then he's gone. Um so I'm like I just me too with Don yeah, in that moment. Yeah. I was just I was just getting used to him. <laughs> I was just getting used to him. I was just beginning to endure Riley yeah. and then this happens. Yeah. yeah. But she yeah, really Dawn is really asking. Like mm-hmm. it'll get yeah. better, won't it? Like she yeah. it's very sweet. There's a really sweet. sweet undertone to that. And then of course Buffy is not processing except when the possibility of Xander and Anya breaking up mm-hmm. is even sort of hinted at. Um, yes, mm-hmm. it is very sitcommy in that moment with Tara mm-hmm. when they're leaving class and oh yeah, she starts. But I to... love that relationship though. The Tara, Buffy and Tara being good friends and you know talking about everything and and Tara's adorable comedic timing as the the response to Buffy's like overwhelming <laughs> emotional response to this idea that Xander and Anya might be having trouble something that she probably would not care about at all under ordinary circumstances um yeah it's it's so incredibly sweet and I love I, I just love that she throws herself into Tara's arms and Tara's like oh, okay I guess this is a thing we do now <laughs> yeah I love I love Tara trying to comfort Buffy, but not I being know. sure if they're in a relationship I where they know. hug. It's <laughs> right. that like we got and we got that with Xander and Giles uh, a couple yes. episodes ago with, mm-hmm. you know, in the hospital mm-hmm. with Joyce's surgery. Yeah. I love a good mm-hmm. like, do we hug moment? <laughs> is this is this what we do? do is we, this where this relationship is going? Yes, hugging, I like that, too. Are we hugging, hugging friends? Is that what this is? Yeah. Are we hugging? Friends? But it's nice to see Tara... And Buffy together, you know, taking mm-hmm. a class together, especially after Tara's not feeling like she was part of the group mm-hmm. and right. family. And yeah. Tara yeah, has really nice. folded really since then. Tara has folded mm-hmm. really nicely into the group yeah. in a way that I think this episode is suggesting that Anya hasn't. We mm-hmm. kind of seeded that right. last week. But then mm-hmm. this is supposed to be. I think I'm not totally sure, but I feel like this is supposed to be the episode where we're like, hang on. Like Anya (laughs) is the newcomer to the group. And is she really part of the group? And Mm -hmm. what's up with that? Right. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I do enjoy I enjoy that Tara is Tara's there. I love it. Tara's part. Tara's just wonderful. And Tara Tara being so awkward with Giles (laughs) about going to England. Sounds so exotic. Unless you're English. Unless you're English. It's so incredibly (laughs) sweet. And I love the whole thing where like Willow and Anya are fighting and, you know, Xander leaves and then Tara's like, you know what? (laughs) Boom. Gone. Gone. Yep. Not engaging. (laughs) You can see the cartoon wind in her, you know, in her wake. There's like a Tara-shaped cutout in the door. She just like Looney Tunes exits. (laughs) Gotta go. 
I love it. I love it. You know, yeah. I I love the way that she gives them the space that they need to like fix whatever it is that they're, you know, they're going through. So I, I think that that's pretty cool. And they are going through it. They are going through it. Willow and Anya, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted on this whole thing. First of all, like I, I, I like the way that they fight. Like I like the jokes that come up between them. Uh, there's something really fun about seeing Willow in that position, although it does not seem terribly consistent with her with her character. Um, but I do like that they, you know, that for Willow, at least it comes from, you know, you have a thousand years of hating men gold watch or yeah. hurting men gold watch, right? You know, that that she's worried that Anya is going to hurt Xander, you know? Um, so, I mean, I like that. I like that revelation. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to see this back and forth between the two of them. And I like that. But the, the two women fight over the guy thing, it is, you know, it, it gets a little old for me that it becomes about these two women going at each other, you know, and then there's this guy in the middle who's just like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things that like I, I have limited patience for. How did you like that? I actually really like this. Mm-hmm. I, I like I said at the at the opening, I misremembered how this played out. Um, yeah, I really enjoy their conflict. Mm-hmm. In part because I have been the friend who's like, okay, I know you are with this person and you like them, but are we sure about are, this? Are you, sh- this are you guy? sure? Really? That one? Really? Really? Yeah. This guy. This guy. Yeah. Yeah. I somehow I sense that in you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh. not like it's not like I have given the side eyes to side eye to anyone that you might have that some of some of your friends might have dated some of my friends who I don't <laughs> who, podcast who will with remain unnamed exactly considered dating at some point. It's very like God, it really? comes from love. Really? It comes from love. It does. I totally does. get it. I totally but get also, it. But also, there yeah. is the like the different. You know, that is there is this friend protective bubble that goes up and you're like, yeah, oh, mm-hmm. hell no. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. you do get a little bit of that friend greed. I don't see it yeah. from Willow with Xander. Yeah. I see it. <clears throat> I mean, if this is the episode about projecting things onto other relationships mm-hmm. that they're not really about. Yeah. Willow is definitely projecting more negativity, I think, onto Anya than mm-hmm. um than is really warranted. Right. She doesn't like Anya, but she liked Riley. I mean Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's not really judging. And that's the thing is that like, you know, it's it's this two women fighting over a guy. And even though Willow is not, you know, romantically interested in Xander anymore, you know, because she's gay, not because they're best friends, not because that also failed between them. But, you know, the only reason why she wouldn't want Xander anymore is because she's gay. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, so they go to that joke a couple of times and, you know, whatever. Um, oh, well, I'll talk I think, about that rainbow elephant in just a minute. Oh, OK. I'm going to hand that off to you in just a second. But um, but Anya's uh, Anya's pursuit of Xander and her obsession 
with Xander. I mean, here is a woman who was cheated on by this guy, turned him into a troll, became a vengeance demon, uh, chose the vengeance demon uh, major, you know, majoring in <laughs> man hating and heteronormativity, right? You know, that we're going to. Oh my God, majoring in vengeance with a minor in heteronormativity. With a minor is in so heteronormativity. Good. Perfect for the, for the modern American demon. Um, and so, like, I, I think. I think with me, I love Anya. Like, I really do. I love Anya. I'm such a huge fan. I think that for me, I feel disappointed at the path not taken here, that we could have given her a little more edge, that we could have given her a little more hesitancy with with Xander instead of running full at him like she's so desperate to get the love of a man in order to validate herself. Um, I, I would rather have her... Uh, you know, like she's always she's the comedy mule. We pack her up with all the jokes because Emma Caulfield has the most immaculate comedy comic timing of like anybody. She's unbelievably good. And I get if you have somebody who's that good at comic timing, you want to give her all the jokes. But I really wish that there was some deeper um, kind of hesitancy like that after everything she's witnessed over the last thousand years that she might possibly give a man a little bit of a side eye first, you know, rather than this like desperate need for Xander. Xander has to love me and Xander has to like all of that. Um, I, I don't know. It doesn't I think instead of appreciating, like, I can appreciate what they did with it, but I always feel a little bit disappointed that they didn't do something with that. With Anya, Anya, with not- Anya's darkness, with her vengeance, with yeah. her having been hurt before, with seeing the things that men have done to women. And yes, you know, yes, incredibly heteronormative. Women hurt women, women hurt men, men hurt men. There's all sorts of, there's enough vengeance to go around. She <laughs> chose a specialty that was extremely heteronormative. You know what? Fine. Um, but I think that, like, I, I wanted to see that darkness in her. I wanted to see that edge. And it, I feel like it comes out as this jokey, you know, girl who goes to college for her MRS degree that she just wants a man, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, like, it just it falls a little flat. I feel like we could have done more with her. And she does definitely get more interesting after she and Xander break up. We get that darkness from her that I kind of wanted now. Hmm. That's interesting. I like I actually really love this, Anya. Mm-hmm. What I feel like is missing is a clearer indication that of a, a clearer through line with this idea mm-hmm. that we started way back with her that, you know, she is new to being human again, we find out. Right. You know, she was mm-hmm. human before. But I do like I like I like the idea that maybe making the adjustment back to being human, she would have, I don't know, like factory settings would be a little off or something (laughs) where she would because she has been expressing like early in the Anya Xander relationship. Uh She was Uh expressing it very much like I have to go to this dance. I don't know why. I just feel very compelled by my, you know, human femaleness to be like there's this. With, Almost with, like it was a hormonal imperative. Yeah. There's like you know? a social component to it, too, of like, yeah. I want to be part of part of being but in the human world. But she doesn't care. 
She yeah. doesn't care. Like in this one, Willow says there are rules, and she's like, I don't care. The rules are she's stupid. Like, the rules which are stupid. I like, which I like about her. But yet she is is subscribing to all of these kind of classic and and you know outdated ideas about you know what your feminine your youthful feminine experience needs to be and we had like a really great opening with Anya when she came in in the wish she was much darker when she's I'm 1120 years old just, just give, give me a me beer a like beer. exactly yeah. like yeah. that's that's the Anya that I wanted that's the Anya that I miss at the same time going with this. Like if this is the choice, they're doing that choice. Well, it's fun and it's funny. And I adore Anya. I just always feel a little disappointed. I really like Anya in the opening of this episode, mm-hmm. though, where she's, yeah. you know, I like I really like if you ever decide to go, I want a warning, which, of course, because oh, we know really sweet yes. where this is going. It's very yes, sad. It's very tragic. It is. But I also mm-hmm. just love Jane Espenson kind of channeling Nora Ephron with the, you know, this is yeah. this is promise me I'll never be out there again from exactly. when Harry met Sally. Like, it's really yeah. there's something really cute about that to me. And I love love Mm -hmm. love Anya saying maybe it's her (laughs) (laughs) I just love like yes it's yes it's problematic but also Mm -hmm. you know the whole next year same girl different guy thing I like the Mm -hmm. idea that she's seen this before and she's Mm -hmm. not I don't know not tactful enough to think like two guys is not really a pattern (laughs) like you can't really Especially in somebody that young. Yeah. You know, I mean, there was there was the Scott Hope debacle and, of course, yeah. the Parker Abrams bullshit. We're not going to talk um, about that. We're not going to talk is, about that. None of that matters. None of that is none of that is important. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting and it's fun and she's funny. Uh, she's Emma Caulfield. She's delightful. She's adorable. You know? She's adorable. Yeah. And I think I think I have the the delight with Anya mm-hmm. that also many of us have with Spike of like, yeah, this oh. is not great. Or yes, I would like to see her do more. But I like the. But it's so wonderful what she does. I yeah. love the Anya wanting to be in this relationship with Xander as falling under the newly human and strangely literal umbrella. Um, <laughs> I'm also just vehemently team Anya in this episode because Willow kind of sucks. You know, kind of she she's mean. The cat in the hat is not a role model, dude. Like <laughs> the fish was absolutely correct. Like you should right. not be like you don't know this cat. You yeah. don't know him. Like, you don't know him. And she doesn't feel like Willow in this episode. Well, you know what's um, interesting is she yeah. feels like Willow in Pangs, which is also Jane Espenson, uh-huh. where yeah. Willow just, you just like, oh God, no. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot not of great. not great, not great Willowness. Um, yeah. Willow, th- but I love, I love the way they clash on mm-hmm. all of this by, you know, not talking about what they need to be talking about. Right. <laughs> Willow, mm-hmm. Willow thinking she made the troll and Anya being like, oh, <laughs> calm down. Like, <laughs> Nobody made him. Like, you're not that impressive. It's very funny. The whole scene in the car is great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You don't know how to drive. I didn't know if I knew until I tried, did I? (laughs) They're just, 
It is. It's... I'm going to hit the pedal on the right now, and I think we're going to go faster. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's pretty adorable. Mm-hmm. But this, I mean, overall, to me, this feels like a subtler take on the idea of two women fighting over a man. Yes. Because mm-hmm. both Anya and Willow have real genuine concerns about the other, which feels really mm-hmm. valid. Um, even if there's not a lot of there's there's not a lot of leg for it to stand on there. But I do like yeah. I like Willow being like, yo, this is what you do. I like Willow's point. Anya's point of I'm afraid that you're going to take Xander away from me with your lips. <laughs> Um, and that the, and that she's only okay with Willow once Willow says hi, gay now, as though that's the reason why she wouldn't be with Xander. Not a million other reasons. That's the thing that punctuates it. But Anya starts with like, you've known each other since infancy. Right. You know him better than I ever will. I actually do like that. I could see that being a really difficult space mm-hmm. to be in right. for mm-hmm. a new partner yeah like especially yeah. when you know you know anya says i know what broke up xander and cordelia it was you and willow says yeah. no it wasn't okay wait yes it is you know yes it was it really was but yeah that, but we do get that that line mm-hmm. hello gay now you know i'm not going to take your i'm not going to take your man because i don't want no man um we need like, to, that's the reason exactly. like we need to address the rainbow elephant in this conversation. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, so we have Willow self-identifying as gay for the first time, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is a thing. That's like a valid, mm-hmm. totally valid, cool thing. But it's also mm-hmm. a writing decision, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. sexuality is fluid. Identity is up to the individual. Um but of course, this is not a real person in the real world who had a seemingly fulfilling relationship with Oz, now identifying a different way. Mm-hmm. This is written for this character yes. to say, and I just, I don't, I don't love it. Mm-hmm. I also kind of love it. But I know that a lot of folks who listen to this podcast identify as bisexual or pansexual. Mm-hmm. And if this feels like a shitty writing moment to you, yeah. Totally. That is a real thing. Like the the bisexual erasure on this show is real. Mm -hmm. Um, So just, I don't know. I just wanted to address that moment Mm -hmm. because on the Mm -hmm. one hand, like it is a huge moment for Willow, but it's also downplayed because it's funny. And so often women being gay is the punchline. And then we have the... The then we we layer some bi erasure on top of it, and it's just so. right because you're defined by who you're sleeping with at the moment. So if you're bi and you're sleeping with a man, uh, if you're a bi woman and you're sleeping with a man, you're you're actually straight, you know. And if you're mm-hmm. a bi woman and you're sleeping with a woman, then no, you're gay, you know. And yeah, I mean the space for that, um, for somebody to just be bi, you know, was was definitely not available. You know, at this time in, yeah. in television, at least I can't think of an accepted, you know, unchallenged bisexual character at this time. I don't think. I mean, a shot at love with Tila Tequila. When was that? Does anybody remember that? <laughs> no? that I mean, that was a reality show. But yeah, mm-hmm. there was no like, when was that? Now I want to get on the 
I ha- I mean, I literally have the DuckDuckGo machine right here. Let's find out. <laughs> oh, that's not till 2007. A Shot of Love with Tila Tequila isn't for another six years. So, wow. I mean, we're yeah. really like... We're hurting. We, I mean, we're still hurting for bisexual for bi- representation, representation, but but it is, you know, mm-hmm. it's tricky. As much as I love that punchline, mm-hmm. hello, gay now. Is yeah, pretty. It's it's layered. It's complicated because it's written and not a person, a real person a in the real, real world, self identifying. Yes. Because yes. newsflash, you're allowed to identify however you identify. And I know a lot you of folks... You decide, exactly. A lot of folks mm-hmm. use gay as shorthand. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yeah. you do you. Um, yeah. However but, that works. Yeah. But the 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 bi erasure is real. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it really is. Um, okay. So uh, to talk about something that like I clearly cannot get through an episode without talking about. Can we, can we talk about Spike a little bit? I <laughs> yes, we can Spike. talk about Spike. We can talk <laughs> okay. about Spike. If you must. I must. I must. I must. I did notice, by the way, your your mention of people who love Spike earlier, and I felt attacked. I'm just saying. Uh, Spike, <laughs> as always, I mean, lovingly, lovingly, attacked lovingly attacked. Or seen, or seen. both. Yeah. A little bit of both. A little bit of both. And I liked all of it. Um, so Spike, as always, uh, is delightful in this episode. Him with the mannequin doing the apology with the battered box of candies because he has been continually beating her over the head with them when she doesn't accept his apology immediately. Um, And then when he calls her a bitch, like, it's just funny. But it's also a reminder that Spike is still Spike. Like, he is still a vampire. He is still evil. He still can't understand healthy human relationship or love. And that's something that we need to not forget because it is really super easy to romanticize Spike you know, because he's so fun, because he's so funny, because he's so unbelievably hot. Like all of these things <laughs> go into making the spike soup. You know what I'm saying? So um, so I, I you know, I, I love that they um, that they don't as the uh, even though we as viewers might romanticize Spike, I'm not going to say that I might do that sometimes. I might. But the bottom line is. That it's it's wrong and the and the show is acknowledging that that he is still Spike. He is just William the Bloody with a chip in the head, right? Um, so uh, so I really really like that. Um, and I love the moment too when Olaf comes in and asks about babies, and Spike looks at Xander and says, "I don't know. What do you think? The hospital?" Yes, I'm I, paralyzed with not caring very much. I love I love him. Yeah. Try to get the ogre the meal that he wants. That's so I very know. Spike. Um, I hate Spike trying to apologize, though, <laughs> and immediately getting defensive and then hostile when she hasn't said anything because she's a literal mannequin. So, yeah. And then he inevitably, like, turns angry and beats her. Yeah. Because in because his he's head, evil. this is a hostile, like... This is a hostile encounter, and it's just this tragic comic faces vase right. abusive relationship thing for me. Like, there's something oh, yeah. there that I'm I'm not. Oh no, it's disturbing. It's like up. that I... entitlement to her forgiveness and to her like all of that is disturbing, and that's why I love it. It should be disturbing. You should be disturbed by Spike. And if they don't let Spike have these terrible, terrible moments, it is going to be really easy to forget and romanticize what he is. He is a monster. 
and you can't forget that. And it's interesting to me how that will slide more towards delight or toward disgust, depending mm-hmm. on, I don't know, for me, it's probably depending on the day, <laughs> how much my like my yeah. male entitlement to women's bodies and experiences. What, like, your, what your patience gauge. is for that male like, entitlement oh, to women's bodies. Yeah. Yes. But mm-hmm. I do love I, I love Spike bonding with all the men on the show. I, I yes! love Spike and Riley. I adore Spike and Xander. Oh, my oh God. My word. I love it, too, because it's motivated. Like Spike is hanging out with Xander because he wants that's as close as he can get to Buffy. Yes. So he's talking to Xander just so that he can say and he brings in so subtly. So I suppose, you know, the Slayer, blah, blah, blah. And he'll bring in stuff that has nothing to do with Buffy. But he's bringing her into the conversation. I love how deftly that is done. Um, and it's really fun to see him and Xander playing pool together. I really enjoy them commiserating they were roommates for a while like they bonded you know there's a bond there and they're kind of doing their little like pool playing like women am i right bitch (laughs) i don't you know whatever fuck you women am i right but also it's perfect for them they're so cute and i i love spike trying to empathize with xander about like nobody gets anya and he's like yeah nobody really got drew either and xander's like well she was insane (laughs) like like, okay like that's a bridge too far bro but spike okay spike loves the blooming onion at the bronze no. Can we just like a moment of appreciation for Spike and food? It is I one know, of the funniest beats that they keep I hitting. I love it. I know. I love, I love that I he got loves this the little onion, onion thing. <laughs> so funny this onion they have this yeah. onion thing <laughs> I know it's so adorable and we're gonna hit that a few more times before the run of this show is over and every time it's goddamn delightful he's so you know? funny with his yeah. love of food um, yeah and then oh god and then after the fight he wants credit for not feeding off bleeding disaster victims yes <laughs> she's and- like you want credit for that he's like well yeah and she says, you're disgusting, and walks away. And he goes, what's it take? What's it take? But he's so heartbroken, though. His his read on what's it take? Like, he genuinely doesn't know. And he's trying to. He's trying, oh, but he doesn't. God. I mean, he is trying to. Yeah. He's trying to be good to her in this weird way. And we get that from him. Like, I know you wouldn't like it. Right. You know, like, I know you wouldn't like it, which is something that we're going to see later when he takes a hell of a beating to protect Dawn. Yeah. You know, Um, and and there's something about that, that like his his sense of goodness and his sense of morality is being filtered through Buffy. But he he looks at things and says, if she would not approve, then I won't do it. He is literally walking around with a bracelet on that says, what would Buffy do? <laughs> like, that's his yep. his reference point. And there is something about that, that love that he is denying his own true nature, which, of course, was denied to him because of the chip anyway, you know, so he's already been struggling with that identity regardless of this, but that he is he is deeper, more deeply going into this this space that that contradicts his actual nature so that he can he can try to be good for her. 
and it's complicated and it's it's not healthy and it's not necessarily really good but but Jesus it's there's something about it which is is really like in a sick way very loving well i like it because it's not you know the love of a good woman changes a bad man right she's not involved mm-hmm. really no. She's just there, you know, kind of putting up with him because, you know, she likes him. Whether or not she She would admit it, she likes him. But he loves her at this point. It is what would Buffy do. It is what would Buffy do. And and that's what he looks at as his mo because he doesn't have an internal moral center so he is actually reaching externally for a moral center you know and struggling a bit because he beats <laughs> up a mannequin and calls her a bitch like yeah, that's not the good mannequin, you know the mannequin thing is distressing it's, it's, it's distressing and it should be it needs to be we need to feel that distress so that we have that that emotional dissonance which is so like fun to play with where you're like i i know this is wrong but i love this character like I love I feel this struggle um and yeah I love the whole thing the whole thing with Spike is just it's so fun for me um to just ride this whole thing from the moment he gets the chip in season four all the way through to the end (laughs) I love the ride with Spike with very few a couple of moments of exception to loving that ride but most of the time yeah it's it's really really great so we've got this funny episode, right? Yes. It's like sitcom-y and ridiculous. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are like hints of darkness here and there. And then we have this ending. Yeah. It's like a punch to the freaking gut. What? Oh, my you God. Like, I'm, guys. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the overhearing thing. And also, if you're having a conversation like that, you do it in a place where the, you know, 14-year-old kid doesn't have a chance of overhearing it because right? that's something you don't want to have happen. But my God, when they're talking about it and then Joyce is like, she feels like my daughter, you know, that whole thing. And then there is Dawn listening and trying to absorb this. And she's just a kid. And oh my God. And so we have this like unbelievably silly, I mean, possibly one of the silliest episodes of Buffy, you know? And then to turn the tone like that on a dime and, and you know, kind of park us on a downhill slope into next week's episode. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, that's serious business. It's... It's rough and it's also Mm. just weird. Like, why are you having this conversation Mm -hmm. where you can be overheard? Mm -hmm. Um, It's I I hate it. I hate it so much. Yeah, (laughs) it's really it's really bad. And the overhearing thing is also something that I'm not I'm not a huge fan of, you know, Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be tough, though. And Dawn's reaction is wonderful. Dawn. Having a deeper understanding of her own role in what's going on, I think, is is something that I'm really looking forward to. I don't like how it happens, but I like that it happens, if that makes sense. Well, it would. Ha- I mean, it, has it to would be. have to yeah. happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it would have to happen. But I would rather Buffy actually tell her. When oh, my God. She so much. To know. I would rather somebody actually have that conversation with her um, because she's not just a 14 year old kid. She is a mystical fucking key, you know, yeah. I mean, and like she needs to she needs to know it's I get the the desire to protect her, but you can't 
You know, like there's only so much you can do without her knowing like you're you telling her is protecting her. Well, that's a trope that I am so ready to see die. The we can't yeah. give this person vital information about themselves because because we're then we will endanger them. No, that's that yeah. really is borderline like spooky language to control people. Right. Like if we uh, don't yeah. tell mm-hmm. you the truth about yourself mm-hmm. or we right. don't tell you like. In the everything is a metaphor camp, mm-hmm. right? If we don't tell you the truth about our family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there's that too, right? We've been doing a lot of like the right. importance of chosen family and mm-hmm. the importance of who is your family and who is allowed into that circle and who is not yeah. and all of that. Uh, it's... And conflicts based on keeping secrets are never good. They're just never good. They're never as satisfying in narrative than conflicts that are based on everybody knowing exactly what's happening. You know, if you have a conflict that's based on a misunderstanding, you have a conflict that's based on somebody not telling the full truth to somebody else. I think sometimes that can work, but most of the time it's just cheap conflict and it doesn't it doesn't hold up in the end. And it's a bummer. And I just always end up disliking everyone involved. So we end this episode with Dawn overhearing the conversation about about herself the nature of her existence the nature yes. of her existence mm-hmm. you know nbd right yes right. Um, and we end on we end on a shot of dawn on the stairs mm-hmm. while joyce is speaking yes and i think i think jane espenson accidentally or maybe accidentally on purpose crafted a giant metaphor here mm-hmm. in this last little interaction um that I'm gonna go I'm gonna go down a go down a rabbit hole for a minute okay okay I so, like it yeah okay so a few weeks ago I threw out my head cannon sorry mm-hmm. um <laughs> that the monks fiddling with reality to make dawn is what caused Joyce's tumor yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had this idea that that was textually acknowledged somewhere. And you mm-hmm. said, no, it's just one of those unfortunate. I don't think so. We don't coincidences. I don't think so. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a perfect we coincidence. Mm-hmm. Of course. Like, let's yes. make this as awful as possible. Right. Um, But I want to talk about this today, partly because of how this episode ends, but mm-hmm. mostly because it's Mother's Day in the United States yes. as we're recording mm-hmm. this. <laughs> so right. I was talking to our dear friend, Dr. Kelly Jones, about the yes. lack of mystical pregnancy in Buffy. Aha, it's interesting. It's something that Angel, the series, does all oh, the friggin' time. distraction. Yes, it's terrible. But Buffy doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. Except here, sort of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we railed against the idea that you'd put a mystical what's it inside a teenage human and then make them yeah. go through puberty and middle school just to, <laughs> I don't know, save the world or whatever. Like right. that's that mm. remains shitty. And it definitely yeah. speaks to male entitlement to women's bodies and experiences. Mm-hmm. But also, presumably, Joyce remembers giving birth to that baby. Right. Joyce remembers the interminable newborn period and the stress yes. of also parenting a school-aged child on zero hours of sleep because mm-hmm. you know Hank Summers was not helping oh, with yeah. the <laughs> middle of the night feedings oh, and diaper changes. Not. Like, Absolutely he was not. not. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. 
Not to mention the very real possibility of postpartum depression, which I survived Mm -hmm. twice and is among the definitions of hell on Earth. So I bring this up partly to keep the show on the hook for this mystical pregnancy, but also to Mm -hmm. suggest that the psychic and energetic fallout of creating not just a sister for the Slayer, but Mm -hmm. a second pseudo-biological child for the mother of the Slayer... Yeah. A gestational parent will have unique body memories associated with growing a baby. Mm-hmm. You can't monkey with Joyce's mind on this yeah. key hiding mission and not also monkey with her body. Yeah. So Joyce's tumor is a side effect of her mystical pregnancy, but because it's not her show, oh we just God. glide right over that. Wow. And Joyce herself seems to kind of whistle past the whole thing, right? Like last yeah, time we she's saw... just like, oh my God, I yeah. can't believe it. You know? Yeah. And last time we saw Buffy and Joyce discussing Dawn, it was this bizarre, unhealthy mother-daughter dynamic where Joyce was hospitalized and infantilized right. and going to Buffy for comfort. And mm-hmm. I bounced really hard off of that. And I still yeah. do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And then here, Joyce seems to be addressing the issue by choosing not to address it. You know, she addresses it the way that you do when uh, somebody you really, really like has just been me too'd, and you're like, oh my God, you know, like, I can't believe that, you know, like, this is somebody I really, really liked. And uh-huh. she she talks about it like that. But you're absolutely right. I mean, this is a, a violation of her mind, of her body, of her memory, of her experience, um, you know, and, and that is, I, I can't even imagine how you would process that. Well, and she also tells Giles that she and Buffy talked about it, but she seems way more up to speed on the state of glory and the key and what Mm -hmm. that all means than she was the last time we heard anything about it. Right. Which means Mm -hmm. that we missed that conversation between Buffy and Joyce, which Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't love. Yeah. Um, You know, and then she says, I can't even think about this. It's too, and she trails off interrupts herself and says i'll get some more milk and that's Mm -hmm. the end of the episode yeah and i just i don't know like there is this there is this really powerful beautiful metaphor in this episode's Mm -hmm. final line to kind of sum up joyce's role of capital m mother in the fragile nurturing don't ask too many questions way Mm-hmm. Joyce nopes out of the conversation to get milk, the literal sustenance from mother to child. <laughs> yeah. And we just let it go. Like, we just let it go. We let the whole mm-hmm. the whole effect of all of this on the mother of this mystical child just completely erased because right. it's not and her it's, show. It's a, it's a real opportunity, though, to like do something very interesting with Joyce because Joyce is, uh, you know, like a character who does not ever get much of her own agency. You know, the only time during this, this whole run when she has sex that we really know of, she might've had sex with a robot. I'm not really sure. Uh, (laughs) But like, it's, you know, it's when she's under the effects of, and she's actually drugged. Yeah. She's drugged when she's under the effects of the band candy. When she has sex with Giles, she's drugged by Ted, the robot, you know, with all of his, uh, the stuff that he's putting in the food. Um, And that's the only time that she has like any kind of personal moment to herself. Um, 
this is an incredible violation of her and in a number of ways. One, to give her a child and experiences and memories that, that are not real. And then also to take them away, you know, to then to give them and then pull them back. And she has to deal with with violations at every turn. And the idea that that everybody else is allowed to have, you know, Giles has his ripper moments, you know, and everybody has like all of these things where they go off and they have their, you know, Willow tries to, to end the world in season six, like, everybody has their moments where they get to go off the edge and Joyce just has to take the punches and then be like please allow me to go you know fetch some something for somebody else you yeah. know or like yeah it is um and then you know give her this this brain tumor you know and she never gets to express herself as a person she never gets to really like have feelings or have a storyline you know she never gets her own actual storyline and I think it would be really interesting to see her be more than the conflict vending machine that she is during the first couple of seasons and be more than just the mom you know um, during these seasons to actually give her we allow Giles as an adult to have his own stories exactly you yeah. know but but Joyce doesn't get to be her own person she is very very much owned by everybody else you know yep yeah yeah it's I mean it also dovetails nicely with my theory about the show not having any representation of women over the age of i don't know 25 oh. like there's just not yeah. you just cease yeah, to that's... exist yeah you cease no, to i mean exist. You, you become something upon which everybody else feeds either literally or you know or or metaphorically yeah <laughs> like oh that's yeah. that's a little disturbing um a little bit a yeah little but bit. i mean and I also understand at the same time, if we're telling a show primarily from the point of view of, mm -hmm. you know, a 16 to 22 year old mm -hmm. young woman, your parents don't really have thoughts and feelings and individual lives at that stage for a lot of us. But, but, as, but as you say, right. but Giles, Giles, Giles work does. dad gets to have yeah. all kinds of complicated emotional right. I mean, Ethan downs. Rain has more than <laughs> than Joyce does. Wesley gets more than Joyce does. You it's know, true. Um, yeah. women women over the age of like thirty are just there to service everybody else in one way or another, right? Or to be evil, you know? Or to be evil, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the 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 problem with women. Um, over a certain age, I think is because like, you know, men over a certain age, we get Quentin Travers, you mm -hmm. know, we get we get all sorts of male characters that have their own agency that are doing things that are, you know, that have their own goals and, and are not just living in service to, to other people. Um, but even Glory. Like, as our female villain, you know, bitch is like 25, like physically how she appears. You know, yeah. she may be thousands of years old. Same with Anya, thousands of years yep. old. But if she had a wrinkle, that'd be it. We wouldn't be interested. Mm -hmm. um, and that is absolutely kind of a disturbing thing. And which makes me feel very uncomfortable about like trying to transition into what are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> Now I feel all awkward about it. Now I feel all awkward about it. Okay, all right. Buffy in the convent with the nun. Like, okay, that that 
stray lock of blonde what hair is that is a visual misdirect to make us think yeah. for half a second that Buffy joined the convent. Right. No. Like, it does mm-hmm. not work for me. I do not like it. Yes. I mm-hmm. do. I mean, also, because where in Southern California are nuns wearing full habit? Anyway, doesn't matter. Yes. Doesn't matter. Yes. But yes. Mm-hmm. I love, I love Buffy ending that scene saying, how's the food? <laughs> like, how's the food? <laughs> that I'm like, all right, Espenson, <laughs> I, I will you have give to be you... super religious. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give it to you. Like, <laughs> this right. time you get it. This time you get mm-hmm. the visual misdirect because we get that line. But then yeah. I love later when Buffy says, I met a nun and she let me try on her wimple. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty sweet. With total, like, no, like, that's mm-hmm. a normal thing that people sure. say. It's just delightful. That's not at all I just personal and invasive. Yes. I want Can that I scene, by the way. What happened? How did that? Anyway. How how does that even happen? How did yeah, that come to know. pass? That's what I want to know. I don't know. Um, yeah. And then my, my, mm-hmm. other, my other wardrobe related observation. Yes. What is hair and makeup doing with Willow's hair in this episode? Are they trying right. to make her look like Anya? Yeah, it's very like it's a curly style that is not typical Willow. And that's Willow just feels like a little bit not Willow for me this week. Willow feels a little off, but also, you know, we're maybe kind of sort of foreshadowing that Willow Mm -hmm. and Magic not going to do so well together. Yeah, that it's going to be a problem for her. But that's definitely a long tale. That's a long, I mean, who knows? Who Mm -hmm. knows? But and how is Amy still a rat? I know I've completely I, derailed us from wardrobe, but we yeah. get a mention of Amy the rat. How is Amy still a rat? Come on. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Willow is able to do like a million things. She can disappear a cash register. She brings back. She's floating stuff like she can. She can de-rat Amy. She keeps trying and can't do it. Plus the fact that like we've already had it established like with uh, Xander that like, you know, your natural state is together. So all we have to do right. is say let the spell be ended. She yes. can create one Xander from two Xanders, but she can't create one Amy from a rat. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, I understand why we do that, you know, because uh, because we're saving Amy for later, which is <laughs> which is fun. And there's a fun use for that. But, yeah, I don't know why Amy's still a rat. Um, I have to say, though, for for my what are you wearing? Like Anya's polka dot top is absolutely like I have a thing about polka dots. I love polka dots. <laughs> and man, I saw that top and I was like, that is hot. That's beautiful. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Everyone looks really good. I feel like season, yeah. you know, like as season we, five, everybody's looking real good. Everybody's looking really good. Tara's mm-hmm. going a little hard on the eyeshadow. It's okay, uh, though. Like, it's, I like it. It's good. It's a look. It's a lot like of look, it. but it's a look. It's a lot of look. It's it a lot looks of really look. nice. Yeah. All right. So what's your girl power moment of the week? Oh, not with a girl pal big. I think Buffy beating up the troll with the power of love. Oh, God. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's, it's corny. It's cheesy. Yeah. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> I like it. There's something about yes. it that I just, it's goofy. Mm-hmm. It feels like a... It's a weird nail in the coffin of the Riley Buffy thing, but also I kind of am okay with but, it. Yeah, but nobody was going to have the patience for, oh, I miss Riley. Right? So nobody misses Riley. Nobody misses Riley. <laughs> it's not how this shit works. Except Xander. <laughs> except, except, of course, Xander, who has the most emotional moment of missing Riley. Poor Xander. You know, and, with, the, uh, with the crescent wrench. Sweet Anya. Sweet Anya telling yes. him that if Riley comes back, it won't be for the crescent wrench. Oh. <laughs> 
Riley doesn't feel that way about you, Xander. All right, Noelle, what's your favorite part? I think it's the when we were dating reveal. (laughs) And then everyone looks at Anya. And she's just got that guilty look she's on her face. She's just like, how do I? Nope, how do I, I can't get out, get out of this one. one. I yeah, can't get out of this one. Work. That's yep. not going to work. Yeah. yeah. What about well, you? From, uh, it's Spike. I mean, <laughs> do I even need to just everything Spike? Just Spike playing pool Spike. with Xander and the Bloomin' Onion? Yeah, the whole thing. I just, I love all of it. And I, I maybe you want to shame me for it and that might be appropriate, but I, I'm going to love it anyway. No, you're like, love what you love, what you love, baby. Love what you love, man. If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, come find us on social media. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich on Twitter. Noelle is at Noelle Allowed on Instagram. And the hashtag is Still Pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers, who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our May producers, Abigail, Alice, Crimson Glass, Erica, Jonathan, Kristen, Sarah, and Shelley. And this week's special message for our power producers, alternate universes don't stay put. It's like trying to hit a puppy by throwing a live bee at it, which is a weird image, and you should all just forget it. <laughs> to find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or get your thousand years of hurting men gold watch. We will be back next time with Checkpoint, the 12th episode of season five. Until then, I have finesse. I have finesse coming out of my bottom.